0: DJ Harvey there, good fortune, you're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Dina Curie joins us and we chat with Nevna Spirovska from the Victorian Pride Lobby. 3CR! And we do have Dina Curie on the line. Dean, welcome to In Your Face, welcome to 3CR. Hello, hello, thanks
1: for having me.
0: It's a great pleasure. Tell us about your awesome cabaret, kinky cabaret production to Sir with Glove.
1: I'm really excited for it actually in midsummer. I actually performed this cabaret ten years ago, like two thousand and ten I actually performed it, it went in my very early cabaret days as a part of midsummer and it was it was sold out at the butterfly Club and I loved it and back then that was when i was I'm, I'm a big fan of taking classic songs we know and love and twisting them a little bit and you know there's a fine line between pleasure and pain, but when it comes to Playing with a theme like, you know, being kinky and sex and fun things like that, it's so easy to grab some great lines from songs and twist some others and perform some belting out songs and also have a huge laugh with them all. So years ago when I did this show, I set it up like a a kind of like a fetish anonymous meeting where every single song had me as a different character um, exploring, and a different comedy character exploring a different said in a different way. And over the years, obviously, I, that's evolved a lot more with what I do and how I do it. So now I take a new twist on it with me doing a combination of stand-up and singing a lot of kinky songs and having a lot of fun with the audience, which makes me really, really
0: happy. Fantastic. So tell us about some of the, some of the songs you sing.
1: Well, one of my favourites, my, one of my go-to ones, uh, is I do love a power ballad. So we all you know, you know, Shirley Bassey, Goldfinger, I give it a bit of a twist and it's Golden Shower. And uh, that's, that's the kind of silliness you can't expect. One of my favourite things, I, I, I made a medley. After the first run of the show, I realised there was even more room to play. So I made a medley to close the show in. And and um, there's Let's Twist Again, like we did last summer. But you can imagine what I swapped Twist with, if you think a little bit rhyming. And, um, and I take lots of little songs like that because the reality is you look at all these crazy big songs and it's so much fun to have with it. And it's not just like the Belters or the, the pop songs as well. It, On My Own by Les Mis goes to a whole other level when I'm, I'm singing about being alone in my house and what I do.
0: You're a Midsummer stalwart and staple over the years. I mean, you've been performing as part of Midsummer for so long. How weird does it feel doing Midsummer in April and May?
1: It's incredibly strange, but incredibly wonderful. Like, yes, it feels so odd, but after the crazy year we had here in Victoria last year, everything I think is going to feel odd for the rest of the year. I don't think we're all going to get to a level of normal until this time next year. If I'm going to be really honest, so, yep, I've got to admit, coming straight out of Comedy Festival, going straight, we've got uh, into Midsummer. Then we've got, I mean, it's Melbourne. There's a festival every weekend. Let's be honest, there's always something going on. Um, so it feels a little bit strange, but I think even though it's a little bit odd because it's a little bit colder, I'm, I, I think we're so lucky to be able to have midsummer this year and have it even in a different way. And it's one of those times and moments where you get to see what audiences really want or what, what people are looking for or what the community is looking for because you're doing it at a different time. So you're feeding things to them in a different way. So I think it's going to be really great no matter what happens to see who wants to step in and try things a little bit different or who wants to explore their queer culture in a different way at a different time.
0: You are one of the hardest working queer performers and queer media personalities we have in Melbourne, you're always juggling multiple things at once. Is that how you thrive as as a performer, by doing that, by juggling so much?
1: I do. I think I'd swap the other way around. Like, when I'm not it's one of those things, I think I'm one of those people, when you're not busy, then what do you do? You know, you're just sitting around. And, and and when I don't have much to do, if I've got one or two things to do, it'll take me a week. But if I've got 12, it'll take me two hours. And uh, I think a part of it as well is I, I had a whole chunk of my life where everyone kept telling me, you can't do that. You've got to pick one thing. You can't just be good at multiple things. You can only do one thing and that's all. But you know what? Now I look at my life and go, you know, I'm still working in the media, creating podcasts, news articles, still doing photography. I get to do drag. I get to perform as me as well. And while it might be a little bit crazy that I wear so many hats, it feeds the many different parts of myself that make me happy and fill me with joy. So my, my way to it is it makes me happy, and I, I think I'm pretty lucky that my community gets to share in that as well and, and be along with me for the ride. So I feel very blessed and lucky that I get to do it all. And um, and do it for my
0: community, really. Speaking of community, of course, our community darling as part of our Kerry and Dolly was a huge hit uh, in 2020. Any chance of it returning in in 2021? Any chance of some funding well, in the state budget?
1: Community, well, I, I don't think there's any chance of us getting any more out of the the uh, from the, weather, the the state budget's concerned. Unfortunately, like we we were so grateful for the support that they gave us for that show and what we were able to do with it. We're very lucky. In fact, we have two Midsummer specials, one that's actually happening on uh, next Monday and the Monday after where I've got community darlings in that as well. So we've put together, I've been working on those, we've been working on those for the last couple of weeks, some Midsummer specials to help promote and highlight the festival in a different way. And it's great to still be able to do that. So do keep an ear out on your so That's on Facebook uh, on the Monday nights over the next few weeks. But for me especially, like I'm starting to do the community darlings on my own. It's certainly something I want to build more of and build into something. But I'm taking it after last year. I'm I'm kind of sitting in neutral a little bit. The number of people that are like start a website, do a podcast, start doing really videos, and I didn't realise how much it was work. It was doing you know just in isolation, creating content for the community once a week, even though it was five to seven minutes of video content. But I didn't realise just how much it would take out of me. So it's absolutely sticking around. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just Trying to find the right space and platform to share what we need and how we do it and I'm lucky that we have great shows like yours that continue to do that as well
0: which is wonderful yeah look thank you that means a lot Dean um I just think of community darling though and all the all the social isolation it broke down for so many people as as Carrie and Dolly did uh, what are some of the anecdotes that you can tell us about about just the social isolation that it, it did break down for so many people and how much it meant to them
1: well, we were we felt really lucky because we were able to have something like this to work on that was specifically feeding a need for our community. The, 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 it, we had so much fun with it, but it was so crazy. Like, imagine conceiving, creating, producing, putting together a show, and all of it happening from our own home. Like, I couldn't get across the... Like, they were filming in Dolly's living room. You know, <laughs> the show was being filmed in Dolly's living room. I was doing editing from... My house in Collingwood, on the other side of the city, and we had we had an absolute blast and a ball with it, but you, just like you were saying how much it did connect to the community, how much it did do that and and for me that's that's what really fed us all like we're entertainers and we love we love for people to have a laugh with us and we love to share in it all, but seeing the effect and because we were all so isolated last year and seeing what it meant for everyone to to just be connected in a different way, it, it fills us with so much love and joy. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to get back into performing in Melbourne for my community as well, because you get to feed everyone in a different way. And I think after last year, we're all different. Everything's in a different gear. Like I can't go back to just creating content for the community in the way I was before, which is really exciting because now I get to take it to a whole nother level.
0: I guess you really miss that adrenaline and the exhilaration that comes with performing on stage, you know, belting out classic camp numbers. Um, did you kind of go through withdrawal when COVID hit and you actually couldn't perform on stage like you were used to doing for so long?
1: I, I, yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Like, it was, it was, like, I, I absolutely did. And we were talking to a lot of other performers trying to get them involved with the show. And a lot of people use that time to take a break, which I clearly did not do. So the belting out is something that I continued with. I And as much as I was doing it, because I was living alone in my home, um, my my housemate had moved out after the first lockdown and and gotten a new place and I was actually living alone and suddenly I was in this really big house these huge chunks of time on my own so I had to create that same kind of way of connecting with everybody so I started um, Friday night stock up Fridays and I would drag up and practice doing my drag makeup alone and then just turn on the computer and do a live stream where I'd just sing karaoke for everyone so I, I, people could pick songs and I would just belt out to... So that said, that that singer in me that needed to connect to my voice and improvisation and an audience of some kind, it's nothing like being able to perform for an audience. I actually did the show to serve with gloves in Sydney for Mardi Gras. I did three shows in one night, which is a little bit insane, Uh, but I did it, um, and that was the first time back, and it was really emotional to do it, And, and that was with audiences that I didn't even know. So I'm really excited to do it again here in Melbourne, to belt out the tune and have people in front of me because, you know, it's one thing, we had a whole year where a lot of us were, well, it was hard for us all to be talking to a Zoom screen, but performing, oh, I can't wait to just perform for live audiences. It makes me so excited.
0: And you are a quintessentially Melbourne performer, a quintessentially Melbourne queer performer. What are some of the pressures that you must experience as, as, a, as a local queer performer with such a high profile?
1: I don't, I don't know, Like I, I don't know if I, is my, perv- I mean, you, you tell me my profile's really big, I just love to do what I do, and love to do it in a way that I do, I, I think we're really lucky, we have this amazing amount of huge queer talent here in Melbourne, I when I was younger and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be, how I wanted to do it, like pretty early on I had to go, at, I was speaking to a lot of agents who kept saying, don't come out, don't say that you're gay. But then they'd also tell me, no, natives isn't looking for uh, an Italian pizza boy to deliver the pizza or anything at the moment. So I realised pretty quickly the boxes that I kept being put in in the entertainment industry weren't the ones that necessarily fitted for me. And that's why cabaret is such a joy. I got to be able to step out of it and build into it and show audiences what I wanted to show them. And I think at the time I was like, oh, is it going to be dangerous to say I'm a gay man performing or is it okay to just plant the flag in the sand, and luckily we had amazing individuals like Adam Richard and, and comedians that were stepping out and showing us that it's okay to just do what you do and also be queer. And now, when you look around at this amazing queer industry of performance that we have, like from comedians to musicians, singers, everything, it's just wonderful to look at the breadth and depth uh, that we have here in Melbourne. So I just feel lucky to be a part of it.
0: And you've been a real trailblazer. I mean, you know, for so many performers now, it's hard to believe that, you know, when you were starting out in the late 90s, that, you know, people were still saying, oh, no, you can't be a gay cabaret performer. I mean, you've kind of, you've kind of shed through a bit of a pink ceiling, haven't you?
1: Well, I think this is one of the things, like when looking back on this show, as an example, like this was the second show that I did as a part of Midsummer. It was my, first comedy no my second comedy festival show as well and it was I think that was part of my way of going I'm not just going to say that I'm gay I'm going to be in a harness in the imagery you know I'm going to you're going to see me in things that that you wouldn't necessarily see on a poster that that they shout gay do you know what I mean you see a man in a harness or with a ball gag or with a collar you know everyone just goes well there's a gay guy and I think for me that was a way of standing forward and stepping out with it as well and just going, I'm here, I'm queer. But guess what? It's not what it's all about. So it, it, it's that thing where I'm like, oh, yep, I'm a gay dude and I'm a performer. And it's not the be-all and end-all of my performing, but God, I love being able to make it an essential part who we did it. It, just, it makes me so happy to be able to bring all of myself to the space and the stage and that audiences enjoy it
0: and you really challenge stereotypes about body image and you're not afraid to kind of, you know, say, well, hang on a second, I don't conform to, like, you know, some some of the stereotypes of gay body image, but you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to push right through that. Um, how do you do that? How do you have the fortitude to do that? Is it because you have such a supportive family that's really nurtured you as a performer?
1: I think I think family's a big pick for me. I think I'm really lucky in the fact that, Well, maybe it's also having a big family, being Italian, we tease each other a lot, it's what we do. But I also have parents that that just, I don't know, there's something about the way they instilled something within me, which was just whatever you do, commit 100% and do it well. You know, just go out there and do your best, and as long as you're happy with what you've done, that's the best you can do in all ways and forms of life. So even as a young kid, when I was thinking I've got to come out and I was concerned about coming out to my family, there was still a confidence within me of doing that because they let me know it's okay for me to be me. And I think that's something I carried through with. But, yeah, you're right. Like, I I do experience, I have experienced a lot of fat shaming and I do get a lot of commentary in regard to my body not being the right fit or build. And just like what I was doing with stepping into the space and saying, hey, I'm gay, I did that same thing with my body. I have no qualms with wearing a very tight-fitting outfit, sometimes a see-through outfit, and performing on stage looking like that because... I like my body. And and I mean, I know we all look in a mirror sometimes and go, oh, that could be different or that could be different. But I'm not ashamed of what I look like and no one should be. So being able to create a space for everyone to express whatever comfortable is for them makes me really happy. And I just did it because... It made me happy, and if it makes other people feel happy about just their own beauty and what that means to them, then that makes me happy as well.
0: And by pushing on, you know, it's really given you a very, very strong individual style as a performer that other people just don't have.
1: I mean, I don't know if other people don't have it. I guess it's that hard thing. It's hard for me to look on the other side because I look at other other performers like I look at myself. We all sit within a different realm. I guess if audiences see that, they see that, but you've got to remember that everyone steps out it's not about how you see them, it's about how how that performer sees themselves. So as long as they feel comfortable and beautiful in whatever that makes up for them. I mean, I know sometimes me, it could be wearing a leather outfit, a rubber outfit, a, a skimpy outfit, but, or I could be fully, you know, frocked up from head to toe. As long as I'm feeling happy and proud of myself, that's all that matters. And other performers do the exact same thing. I guess it's hard. I don't I don't compare in that same way because when I look at another performer, I just like seeing what they put into the space. I guess that's the performer headspace that I fit in
0: as well. Absolutely. Of course, you don't just perform. You also do trivia nights and all kinds of stuff at the Laird Hotel. Tell us about that community work that you do.
1: Well, I've actually been doing the trivia at the lead. This year is going to be the eighth year, um, which is crazy to think that every single Wednesday, and even during lockdown last year, we kept it going and did it um, virtually. And it's been eight years of doing that. And years ago, the guys at the Laird just went, hey, do you want to step in and try this? And I went, sure, and started doing a weekly gig. And I love doing community events, whether it's hosting or helping create a trivia, there'll be some drag race ones coming up around the corner, I'm sure, or, you know, karaoke or events for community groups and organisations. The, the breadth and wealth of what we can do is really, and I'm a doer, you know, I don't just kind of, no, no judgement to other people, but I can just stand there and host, but I'm one of those people that goes, let me help you create it. If you don't know how to do it, let I know how to do it, so let's do it. And um, I've, I learned really early on that you can sit around hoping that people are going to, you know, be available to pay, you know, to you, Working in this industry, you don't have that much money, so you don't have a lot of money to spend. So I had to learn how to do. And I'd like to share that wealth as much as possible, which is why I like doing events for the community and for community organisations. As long as I bring the fun and as long as they can have a good time and raise money for their organisation, it makes me happy.
0: Of course, your drag alter ego is Frock Hudson. Any chance of Frock Hudson returning to doing drag story time?
1: Actually, I'm doing a drag story time on Sunday <laughs> out in the southeast um, as a part of the council. There's, I'm, look, I'm never going to stop, whether it's performing and singing and drag story time as well. I think after last year, I just... It's really weird having midsummer now. And after this is normally the time of the year where I get to have a bit of a breather and get to stop. Uh, and it's really weird to have it be going in a completely different direction and having it being amping up fast. Um, I, absolutely, it was, one of my decisions this year was to kind of not have Fox so much in midsummer because I felt like I didn't want to tear myself in too many directions and wanted to just focus on entertaining a crowd. Uh, but Rock is not going anywhere. And I think, I think everyone's trying. With Drag Race Down Under kicking on in a couple of weeks, everyone's bringing their drag to the forefront. And I'm just like, yep, cool, everyone keeps doing that. I'm just going to have a breather and I'll see you in a month.
0: <laughs> so what new projects on the horizon after To Sir with Glove?
1: Well, I'm working on, I'm working on the long haul. I think that was one of the lovely things of last year. One of the uh, important works that I want to work on, which was inspired by seeing um, the coming back, going to the coming back outfall and speaking to the wonderful elders in our communities that were there. And I realized that we aren't touching base with that enough. And I actually want to go out and create a show where I go... and I want to go and interview as many elders in our community as possible. I'll give you the whole breakdown, actually. I want to go out in Victoria, at least, and speak to as many different elders in our community who want to talk to me about whatever experiences they want to talk about in their lives and create some amazing soundscapes that we can listen and perform to, to really listen and learn from the mouths of the individuals in our communities, not just read something. or or. And as much as I love, like the Coming Back Apple is absolutely amazing. I keep thinking there's these amazing stories from these wonderful elders that we don't get to hear, and I want to go out and find them and share them with as many people as possible.
0: Fantastic. So give us those details so people can rock along to um to Sir with Glove, which is happening as part of my well, summer.
1: To Sir with Glove is happening. Uh, not it's not next week, but starting the week after on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights for the last week of April and the first week of May, the last two weeks of midsummer. It's happening on a Tuesday night, and and since we had limited capacity I'm doing two shows at um, each Tuesday night, I'm doing it at seven and nine o'clock at the wonderful Hairs and Hyenas and Hairs and Ioners have a fantastic thing where they're also filming the shows. So for anyone who doesn't want to get out of the house or is far away, you can actually watch the show virtually at a, at a discounted ticket price, which you can all find out all those details and all the information by the Midsummer website at midsummer.org.au.
0: Fantastic. Dina Curie, it's been wonderful chatting with you on 3CR. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: The wonderful Dina Curie there, one of the nicest guys in the queer media industry here in Melbourne. Great chatting with him. 3 cr
2: I'd already had a sip, so i reasoned I was drunk enough to deal with it. You're on the other side like always. You can never make your mind. One kiss, you inspire.
0: face on 3CR with James joined by Nevna Spirovska from the Victorian Pride Lobby. Nevna, good afternoon welcome to 3CR.
3: Thanks so much for having me today James it's great to be back.
0: It's great to have you on board such a busy time for the lobby let's start with Chechnya and your campaign in relation to Chechnya and the atrocities that happen over there towards LGBTIQ folks tell us about your your campaign and your petition.
3: This is a really important campaign that we've taken on at the moment and we're trying to use our relative privilege that we have in Australia here where, you know we are trying to highlight that in many countries around the world, it's still unsafe to be part of the LGBTIQA plus community. And one of those places is Chechnya. So for those who might not be familiar, Chechnya is a Republic of Russia, and there have been ongoing reports of citizens being arrested en masse or tor- tortured due to their perceived or actual sexual orientation or gender identity. We've also had authorities who are urging parents, and this is really quite traumatic to hear, but to kill their gay children. And gay or bisexual men are being tricked into meetings using social media only to be violently attacked or detained. So that's why we're calling on the Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, to impose sanctions on these human rights abusers.
0: What kind of reaction have you got from Maurice Payne, the Foreign Minister?
3: Well, we're sorry to say that at the moment that we haven't had much of a reaction. So we have been in touch with the minister's office, so we haven't heard back for them. That's the reason why this petition is so important, because we want to demonstrate to the minister that this issue deserves the attention of Australia. And we have to use the sanctions that we do have available to us to extend those and make it easier for people in countries like Chechnya to have some safety in their sexuality.
0: Absolutely. Of course, it was an international issue in 2017 and 2018, but the last couple of years it's kind of dropped off the agenda, but I imagine those atrocities are well and truly continuing and have probably got much worse over there.
3: That's right. And this has been documented in films like Welcome to Chechnya, And as recently as last month, there were reports in the BBC of two men who were able to find their way out of Chechnya and into Russia being returned there by Russian authorities. No reports have been made of what has happened to the men since that time. But we have seen some improvements in this, in that in 2019, the United States imposed sanctions uh, on these two human rights abusers. And it's time that Australia followed in the footsteps of the U.S.
0: How would you rate Australia's response, you know, generally to what's been happening in Chechnya over the last, say, five years? I mean, it's hardly been gold standard, has it?
3: It hasn't. And it's something that the government hasn't turned their mind to. We have seen some really encouraging work by Senator Janet Rice, who is a great ally to our community and has been an advocate on this issue. During a recent Senate estimate, she did bring this to the government's attention, but they indicated that it could take as long as six months for the government to be able to react to that.
0: That's incredibly slow. I mean, we've seen how quickly, you know, the wheels of government can kick in. If there's the political will to do so, and I guess that's why it's so important that people sign this petition to put the government under pressure so that their their senators and their backbenchers start raising it in their caucus, because otherwise the government will just say, well, we'll do something in six months and just let it slip away.
3: That's right. And there's a lot of competition to get eyeballs um, on issues at the moment. And there's certainly no shortage of issues closer to home. But it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, spin a few plates at the same time, especially when it is such a critically important and time sensitive issue like this. You know, some listeners may think, Oh, what's signing a petition going to do? But we've seen such an incredible response. Uh, to other petitions in recent times when the community has come together and put their voice behind it and said that this is something that's important and deserves immediate government attention.
0: On the closer to home front, of course, uh, the lobby is running a briefing in the city of Port Phillip this coming Monday. I'm I'm guessing that's because the city of Port Phillip recently voted down a motion supporting uh it getting a rainbow tick for LGBTIQ inclusiveness and also for setting up an LGBTIQ advisory group. Uh, I guess that's why you're running this inclusive uh briefing. Like tell us what's going on there.
3: So we were a bit surprised when, in recent times, in uh, last week, the city of Port Phillip held a meeting and a rainbow local government motion was put forward. Given their great track record on supporting the community, being the home of our pride centre, and you know just as recently as May, where the community will be coming together to march as pride of Mar- uh, to be together for Pride March, that this would be a bit of a no-brainer for council. But we were really surprised to see that it came to a gridlock and the motion wasn't passed. It's put a real grey cloud about the council's commitment to the LGBTIQA plus community, especially as three of the four councillors who voted against this had initially pledged and supported this in their election campaign as part of the Rainbow local government campaign.
0: Yeah, eight out of nine Port Phillip councillors had indeed done that. Uh, and now they've turned around and done this. Of course, obviously, some, some of them followed through and did what they said they would. But the ones that you mentioned, I mean, it must, it's glaring hypocrisy, isn't it? Um, how on earth are they justifying this to their constituents, considering that's a platform they got elected on?
3: They haven't justified it to their constituents and they haven't faced up to the media, So recently when one of the councillors who voted against it was contacted by Star Observer, uh, they responded by saying they don't have any response. So it really goes to show that this is something that our elected, uh, democratically elected officials need to be held to account. How much integrity can someone hold when during an election cycle they pledge to support a rainbow pledge or say any other pledge by a community group but when that comes to being voted on and when their integrity comes to the line where that is not followed through, it really quite raises a question about the respect they have, the community, the commitment they have, but also what does their word mean if they're not living by it?
0: Absolutely. What can you tell us, Nevina, about their political affiliations? What kind of you know, party machinations are going on here?
3: Well, it is split down our party lines. There is one person who comes from the ratepayers local group and other members who are affiliated with uh, the Liberal Party. So, you know, we will leave that to the listeners to make their own opinions about what that means. But we are really looking forward and wanting to work with council to move forward on this. That's why we're calling together this community consultation group, because we really want to hear from residents and businesses alike about their support on this issue and other issues in the area. The feedback we've had so far, though, quite frankly, is one of shock. Everyone expected that this would be passed unanimously, with rainbow flags flying, might we say. So it really is up to the residents and local business owners to let council know that this is important and they want their local council to be responsive and inclusive to LGBTIQA needs.
0: I mean, this is a PR disaster for the city of Port Phillip with the uh, huge Pride Centre about to open there.
3: Exactly right. This is the home of Pride in Melbourne. This is, and it has such a rich history of being part of our community. And as we mentioned before, in just a few weeks, we will be marching together as part of Pride March. And many of these same councillors have indicated that they will be taking part of the Pride March. It really calls into account whether it's hypocritical, for them to be marching with us, but then on another day voting against us.
0: And it says something about their view of their entitlement if they think, oh, yeah, we can vote this down, but I will still march with you at the Pride March. I mean, my goodness.
3: And it's really disappointing because some of uh, what is being asked for isn't... uh, It's just asking to reallocate resources. So establishing an LGBTIQA plus advisory committee, creating an LGBTIQA plus action plan, this can all help with the COVID recovery of the area and really boost and cement the reputation that the community has as being champions of LGBTIQA plus people.
0: Of course, on another matter, we are approaching the Victorian state budget. I know the lobby has been talking to community organisations, you know, as part of its consultation kind of, you know, approach to finding out about the community's needs. What is the community telling you about what community organisations need uh, funding-wise from the state government?
3: We were really privileged to work together with a number of LGBTIQA plus community groups, including Bisexual Alliance and having consultation from Melbourne Bisexual Network and uh, TGB. With what we're hearing is that we need a great investment in LGBTIQA plus services. But beyond that, what we're really looking to establish in this budget cycle is LGBTIQA community controlled organisations. That's a term that's been borrowed and inspired by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander sector and the great success that has come about from ACOS, that being Aboriginal Community Controlled organisation. So really, we really want continued funding for the infrastructure to be able to be established and to be sustainable into the future.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's so many demands placed on the community. The government has been very progressive with its law reforms. Uh, they need to put some more funding, perhaps, in, in, in certain areas. Is there any that really jump out to you?
3: We have seen with recent studies that have come out from private lives to writing themselves in that our community on almost every social metric is falling behind the mainstream population. But some areas that really stand out to us is providing safe housing. So that includes housing and homelessness. Uh, and having the development of A plus safe housing network of community controlled homelessness services because we have had reports of community members feeling unsafe to access services and just the lack of housing just means that the outcomes for people who are experiencing rough sleeping or housing instability is so much poorer and we'll have a disconnection from services in the future.
0: Absolutely. And, of course, the government's put so much money into addressing domestic and family violence, but so many queer people kind of fall in, you know, through the cracks in the system, and there aren't those resources available when when people are in unsafe situations. There's a lot of gaps that need to be filled.
3: There are, and these are just even more intensified if you do live on a different margin. And this is seen for, you know, people who are seeking asylum or refugees, international students, people uh, with unsecure employment, uh, people of colour as well and these are what our budget submission is really trying to suggest. Our recommendations that we're putting forward to government are reasonable, now they just need to be funded.
0: Tell us a bit more about some of those key recommendations.
3: So some of the recommendations that we put forward, uh, and this has been done in consultation with community groups that represent the interest of people, say, seeking asylum and refugees, we had a recommendation to put forward a pilot project in partnership with a community legal centre, uh, such as an LGBTIQA plus legal service, to provide accessible legal and related services to people um, seeking Asylum, Refugee and Residency in Australia. That, I would have to say, is one of the biggest queries that we get from uh, or to the lobby. And it's not something that we are funded or have the capacity to do. There is such a need to have an LGBTIQA plus legal service and one that specifically is responsive to the needs of people seeking asylum or refuge. Another uh, one that we would love to see is the government to commit to annum funding for We Are Union Pride is something that dropped off uh, the funding radar for a while. And we really need the commitment because We Are Union Pride have just been so important when it comes to supporting the community on issues of industrial relations and employment.
0: On the law reform front, uh, we've seen some big law reforms, most recently around conversion practices. What are community organisations telling the Victorian Pride Lobby about what really needs to be done for the remainder of this term regarding LGBTIQ law reform?
3: We're really interested to see what's going to happen with the Equal Opportunity Bill. This is something that's been talked about for some time now and there are some reforms that need to happen there. We're also very keen and very invested in the anti-vilifications report. That was handed down by government recently and there was some terrific recommendations about uh, changes that need to be made and powers to be given to Varioc so as to be able to not only uh, protect the rights of LGBTIQA plus people but also lower the threshold. At the moment, there is a very high threshold if you want to put in a complaint... And that's the reason why so few people from our community are doing so. It did go up. uh, We had some stats that showed that there was an increase in the 2019 period and 2020 period after a lull uh, in 2018. And so that would mean that people are becoming more aware of their rights. But still, the underreporting would suggest that this is something that needs the government to address it before the next election cycle begins.
0: And what areas are people, you know, wanting to report but can't? Is it in relation to, you know, provision of goods and services? Is it housing? Is it education? Like, what are some of those main areas where people are wanting to lodge a complaint at the Victorian Equal Opportunity Commission?
3: We're having a lot of communication around employment and a lot of people feeling like they don't have the capacity or safety to be able to put through a complaint to Veriocq. Again, because the threshold is so high, it puts a lot of burden on the person to demonstrate that harm was done to them. We really like to see that change so that threshold is lowered and so it makes it more accessible to people who are able to lodge with Bariok in the future.
0: Nevna Sporowska, it's great the lobby is so active and so proactive at doing, doing amazing work. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR.
3: Pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, James. Love your work.
0: Cheers. Thank you the wonderful Nevnus Barovska there. You are an in-your-face on 3CR, and here is Shoday.
2: to lose, she said it was worth it, reach for the top, and the sun is gonna shine, every winter was a war, she said, I want to get what's mine. Jezebel won't try to deny where she came from. You can see it in her pride I'm the raven in her eyes. Try to show her. She blinks. You know she won't be listening. Reach for the.